great. So let's spend some time in prayer. Lord Jesus, we're so glad you said, permit the children to come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Lord, thank you for all the students and, and adults who welcomed children this week. Lord, thank you for all the children who said yes to you, Jesus, and put their faith in you. Lord, we pray for all the children who came that they would have great memories of learning about you and your house and would follow you for life. Lord, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for giving us your spirit. As we open your word together today, forgive the one who speaks for his sins are many. And Holy Spirit, help us to see Jesus. We pray that through your word you would win the lost and you would build believers and equip workers. Lord, our nation is, has forgotten you and is deeply divided and you're our hope. We pray for revival. Will you not? yourself revive us again that your people may rejoice in you lord revive us and bring about a great spiritual awakening in our land because only you can heal our land by healing hearts and we pray you would in jesus name amen uh, this morning our scripture reading is from the book of colossians chapter 3 and we're going to read verses 18 and 19 Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Now, um, this morning's message is called Gospel-Centered Marriages, Gospel-Centered Marriages. And to help us get going, I, I thought I would reintroduce you to some of my friends, Mr. and Mrs. Wonderful. And I want you to know my wife, Karen, hates Mrs. Wonderful she won't let me bring her home, so she lives in my office. <laughs> but every now and then, I, I like to let them out because I think they can help us understand marriage. Listen to Mrs. Wonderful. Oh, you're watching a ball game. Just stay there on the couch, and I'll whip up some snacks. <laughs> uh, or how about Mr. Wonderful? Thinking of you is the best part of my whole day. <laughs> uh, isn't that what we long to hear, isn't it? <laughs> Ah. Change one thing. ah, and you know what Mr. and Mrs. Wonderful do? They simply say nice things to one another. Imagine, imagine what would happen in our own marriages if we just said nice things to one another. What, what a difference we could make. And so that's what we're going to be learning about this morning, about having gospel-centered marriages and, and the point of today's message is that Jesus enables us to enjoy a happily and perfect marriage. Would you say that with me? Jesus enables us to enjoy a happily and perfect marriage. Many years ago, one of the ladies in our church came up to me and she said that, and I thought that was the most amazing and true thing I'd ever heard, that Jesus enables us to enjoy a happily and perfect marriage. Smiley, what kind of marriage do you and Karen have? It's very imperfect. But what's neat is with Jesus, we enjoy a happily imperfect marriage. And that's what I want to help you today. I want you to help you experience a happily imperfect marriage. If you expect perfection, you'll always be disappointed. But why would we want to be miserable? Why wouldn't we want to seek Jesus' help to enjoy a happily imperfect marriage? 
If you're new, welcome. We're walking through the book of Colossians together. And the reason we're doing this, it's all about Jesus. And if you'd like to know Jesus, let me invite you. Come back week by week. We're looking at Jesus together, and we'd love to have you with us. And what we've learned so far is that a Christian is a follower of Jesus. What we've learned so far is that when Jesus moves into us, his intention is to change everything in our lives. Listen, when Jesus moves in, he doesn't want to change one thing. He wants to change everything in our lives. And if we're married, he wants to change everything in our marriage. And so he says to us, follow me. Follow me. And we've been learning that Jesus is our model for life and ministry. And so if we want to enjoy a happily and perfect marriage, it's important that we learn to follow Jesus. So let me show you a, a verse that can help us understand how Jesus can enable us to enjoy a happily and perfect marriage. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14, we read, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, the Word is God the Son. And this, this is amazing. The God who made everything, he, he actually took on flesh. Jesus is fully God and fully man. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. If we want to know what God is like, we look at Jesus. We saw his glory, glorious of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Wow, Jesus was full of grace and truth. And if you said, well, what do we need to enjoy a happily imperfect marriage? We need lots of what? We need lots of grace and we need lots of truth. And do you know our culture lacks both? We live in a culture determined to do life without God, and so our culture does life without truth. We live in a culture that doesn't know how many sexes there are. We live in a culture that doesn't know what marriage is. We live in a very morally confused culture. Not only that, we live in a culture without grace. We live in a culture now that if someone disagrees with you, you call them evil and you hate them. We live in a cancel culture. That if someone does one thing wrong, if someone says one wrong thing, they're canceled and there's no path back. Listen, a culture, a culture without grace and a culture without truth is a toxic culture. And it's true of marriage too. A marriage without truth and a marriage without grace is toxic. But when a marriage is full of Jesus and full of grace and truth, then Christians can enjoy a happily imperfect marriage. So let's start with truth, okay? Jesus is full of truth. If, if you're new here, I want you to know I'm a Christian. That means I'm a follower of Jesus. I've hooked my wagon to Jesus, and I want to follow him. If you're new, I want you to know that I believe the Bible is the word of God, and it's true. And so if we want to understand marriage, if we want to know what marriage is, or how many sexes there are, or the proper place for sex and marriage, we open up his word and read it. And I want you to know that we don't live in the first time in history where people were struggling in marriage. They were when Jesus came. So in Matthew chapter 19... Verse 3, some Pharisees, religious leaders, came to Jesus testing him and asking, 
See, they, they weren't really interested there testing him. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? Is it okay to divorce your wife for any reason at all? And he answered them and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning? Now, I love, he says to religious leaders, Have you ever read the Bible? And Jesus takes them back to the very beginning. I always teach you the most important verse in the Bible is the first one. So when Jesus gets asked a question about marriage, he goes all the way back to the beginning. The first verse says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Smiley, you don't really believe that? Sure I do. <laughs> Listen, I don't have near enough faith to believe the world created itself. And not only that, but there was someone who was there. Jesus was there. And Jesus says, here's how it happened that God created them from the beginning. Haven't you read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? So God created mankind in his image, and God created two sexes. He created us male and female. Listen, God made us male and female for a purpose. We're made by God, male and female, for a purpose. And then God institutes marriage and said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So God instituted marriage. Marriage is not a social construct. Marriage is not something that some men thought up a long time ago as a way to enslave women. God instituted marriage, and God defined marriage. God defined marriage as the permanent union of one man and one woman. And then, and then God gave married people a gift. It's the gift of sex. And God gave marriage to be enjoyed in marriage alone between a husband and wife because God has a purpose for sex. I mean, if you're talking to someone in our culture and they're talking about sex, if you ask them, what's the purpose for sex? They've never thought about it. They might say pleasure, but listen to what God says. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. God's purpose is to bind a man and woman together for life. It's for oneness. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. A man and woman become a one flesh union. It's for oneness. It's for children. God's purpose in marriage was that a husband and wife would come together and be fruitful and, and multiply and fill the earth with people made in God's image. And certainly God's purpose for sex and marriage was that it would be pleasurable. He invented it so that a husband and wife would delight in giving and receiving pleasure from one another. So before we can understand Colossians, we have to understand how it was set up in the beginning. God instituted marriage, and God gave sex to be enjoyed in marriage alone between a husband and wife. And then God set up order in the home. Listen, God set up authority in the home. And that's what we're reading about in Colossians chapter 3. <clears throat> now, I want you to know the book of Colossians was a letter written to a church. It was a letter written to a church. It was meant to be read in a church. It wasn't given so much to be read in our homes by ourselves. We're unusual as Christians in that we own copies of the Bible. So a few weeks ago, we were in Colossians 3, verse 16, and we read, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within y'all. We said a church is a biblical community where husbands and wives 
And, and parents and children and employers and employees, they gather together, and, and together they hear God's word in community. So let the word of Christ richly dwell within all of you. Husbands and wives sitting together under God's word being instructed. So God set up authority in the home. He said the husband is the head of the family. And, um, and you say the head, yes. I mean, if we saw a person with two heads, we would say that's what? A monster, right? I mean, if, if a body had two heads, it would be a monster. So God sets up the husband as the head of the family. And then in verse 18, we read, Wives, be subjects to your own husband as is fitting in the Lord. Now, now, wives, I want you to know Jesus is speaking to you. Husbands, it never says. It never says for you as husbands to tell your wives to submit to you. No, that's a gift she gives to you as she follows Jesus. Uh, Jesus is saying, wives, be subject. It's not husbands. I, I think most of us, we elbow our spouse. Hey, this is what you need to hear. No, 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 you need to hear what you need to hear as a husband or wife. God is speaking to women here. Wives, be subject to your husbands. Notice that a wife is to submit, not to all men, to her husband, as is fitting in the Lord, not because her husband is a wonderful husband, but she does it out of respect for Jesus. Um, to me, it's kind of like the reason I obey our civil government. I obey our civil government because behind our civil government, I see Jesus. And so I submit to our civil government in honoring in Christ. So you submit to your husband because you submit to Jesus. Um, now, if we don't submit, here's what we're saying. Wives, you're saying, Jesus, you did a pretty good job creating the universe. I mean, you did a pretty good job. Uh, and, and you did a good job in, in, in creating the sun and the earth. We're not too close that we get burned up. We're not too far away that we freeze to death. And Jesus, you did a pretty good job with gravity. It's not so strong that we're crushed, and, and it's not so weak that we fly off into space. You did a pretty good job, but when it comes to marriage, I know better. What is there about our lives that would make us think that we are wiser than Jesus? As we look at around our culture that says, I won't do this, how well is it going, going our own way? The only way that a wife will submit to her husband is to submit to Jesus first. To say, Jesus, you're wiser than me, you know better than me, I'm a follower of yours, you lead and I follow, right? Wives be subject to your husband's as is fitting in the Lord. Well, Smiley, is that always? <laughs> listen, it should be our default, right? It should be our default. But, but listen, we should submit to our husbands unless they ask us to do something that God forbids. I mean, there was a lady in our church in Boca, and she was married to a guy who said, let's wife swap. Let's wife swap. And, and you know what? She did. And you know what happened? It wrecked her marriage. So listen, yes, wives are to submit to their husbands unless their husband ask them to disobey God, and then you would say no. Um, well, what's a model? What would that look like? If you want to know what submission looks like, Jesus says to us what? Follow me. Because what did Jesus do? Jesus and the Father are, are equal, but Jesus says, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. 
What did Jesus say? He said, I didn't come to earth to do my own thing, but to do the will of my Father. So I think, wives, Jesus says, follow me, and I'll show you what submission looks like. Not only that, but he gives us another picture of the church and, and Jesus. We see that in Ephesians 5, which is kind of a, the parallel to Colossians. In Ephesians 5, verse 22, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Yes, submit to your husband, not to all, but notice again, as to the Lord. <laughs> submit not because your husband does, is such a great leader, but do it for the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. There's the headship. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as Christ, as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be there to their husbands in everything. Your calling is to encourage and support your husband to be the leader in the, in the home. Okay, so that's what the Bible says about wives. What about husbands? Back in Colossians 3, husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. And, and I think a lot of us say, well, duh, love your wife. But I want you to understand, when the Bible was written, no one was shocked. No one was shocked when it said wives be subject to their husbands. No one was shocked because that was practice everywhere. But what staggered them in a world where women had no value what staggered them was that husbands were called to love their wives. The gospel is always at odds at every, with every society, just in different places. When, the, when this was written, what was shocking was that husbands were to love their wives. What's shocking today is that the Bible calls women to wives to submit to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives. And do not be embittered against them. Don't grow bitter when she doesn't follow you well. Don't treat her harshly. Well, what would it look like? What would it look like for a husband to love his wife? Once again, Jesus says, what? Follow me. Isn't he the model that we're called to look at to follow Jesus? I mean, to be a loving husband? In Ephesians 5, <clears throat> verse 25, husbands, love your wives. How? Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, Jesus is our model for loving servant leadership. He laid down his wife. He protected his bride. He loves his bride no matter how unlovely she is. Jesus is our model for Christ-like servant leadership in the home. So how does Jesus enable us to enjoy a happily and perfect marriage? He gives us truth. He gives us truth that marriage is the permanent union of a man and woman. He, he, he gives the roles for husband and wife in the home, right? He gives the proper place for sex to be enjoyed. He gives us truth. But he also supplies us with grace, with grace. Listen, there is a standard, there is a standard, there is truth for marriage, but only one person, only one person has ever kept that standard. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the only one who's ever kept the standard. I want you to understand what grace is. Grace is not Jesus lowering the standard. Well, no one's kept it, so let's lower it. You know what grace is? Is Jesus forgiving us. 
Grace is Jesus moving into us. Grace is Jesus lifting us, lifting us to the standard. Isn't that the gospel? Listen, only one person has ever kept the standard for marriage, and it's certainly not you or me, because the Bible says we all have a sin problem, don't we? I mean, look at verse 18. And those of you who are wives, it says, be, hubs, be su subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Have you always been subject to your husband, have you? How about husbands? Husbands, love your wives and do not be... Have, husbands, have you always loved your wife the way Christ has loved the church? Man, I sure have. Have you? How about the next verse? Children, be obedient to your parents in all things. <laughs> hey, were you always obedient to your parents? Were you always... Uh, how about the next one? Fathers, do not exasperate your children and, so that they will not lose heart. Listen, I fail so much. I said, Dad, you can ask my kids. They'll tell you, right? Listen, we've, we've all sinned. As husbands, as wives, as parents, as children, we've sinned against God over and over again. And what the Bible says we deserve for what we've done is, is hell. But here's the good news. Jesus didn't come to help good people get better. He came to seek and save sinners. So God the Son put on flesh and came to earth, and Jesus lived a perfect life. He's the only Son who always honored His mother and father. He's the only Son who ever always obeyed His parents. He's the only one. He's the only man who ever lived who treated women as they ought to have been treated. He lived a perfect life for us. And then He went to the cross and died for sinners. Hmm. We were reading in Romans this week, right? Remember Romans 5a? But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know what changed my life when I understood my sin and I saw Jesus on a cross dying for my sins in my place. He died for me while I was a sinner. He died for all of us while we were sinners, paying in full the penalty for our sins. He died and then he, and then he rose and he offers us eternal life. And what is eternal life? It's the forgiveness of our sins. He, he offers to the chance to do life with him, to move in us. Do you have a hard time submitting to your husband? Jesus says, let me in and I'll lift you to the standard. As a husband, do you have a hard time loving your wife? Jesus says, let me in and I'll lift you to the standard. He wants to move into us and live his life in and through us so he can lift us to the standard. He can help us. That's grace. He offers us the chance to, to, to do life with him forever. And what does he require of us? He requires of us that we receive Him as our Savior and Lord. Have you? Revelation 3.20, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. Jesus says, I want to move in and forgive you. Wouldn't you like to go to bed tonight forgiven? Jesus says, listen, I want to live my life in and through you. Do you need help in submitting? Do you, do you need help in loving? Jesus says, let me in. Let, let me live my life in and through you. Let's do eternity together. And our part is to receive him, and that's as simple as ABC, where we admit and believe and commit. And if you've never received him, you can do that right now, or I'll give you a chance when we close in prayer. But it starts when we admit, Jesus, I've not submitted to my husband. <laughs> I've not loved my wife 
I've not obeyed or honored my parents. I've sinned against you, and I'm sorry. And then we believe, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And then we commit, we receive Jesus as Savior. Jesus, come in and forgive me and give me eternal life. I want you to be my Savior, and I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me. Help me be the person you want me to be. Help me submit. Help me love. Help me honor my parents. Help me parent my children, right? Will you? And if you have, I, I want you to understand something, that Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. So when Jesus moves in, he says, Follow me, follow me, and I will enable you to enjoy a happily imperfect marriage. Do you want a happily imperfect marriage? Jesus says, Follow me. And the first thing Jesus wants us to understand is the myth of compatibility. The myth of compatibility. People are looking for someone they're compatible with. And Jesus says no two people are compatible. Now certainly we are more compatible with some people than others, but no two people are compatible. Do you know why? Because we're all sinners. And when two sinners come together, they're not compatible. (laughs) You know what makes marriage so interesting? First you have two sinners, right? And then you also have what? You have a male and a female. Could they be more different? So you put two sinners, one a male, one a female, in a tight space for a long period of time. What could go wrong there, right? That's why we cry out, more Jesus, please. We need grace. We need Jesus living in us to lift us to the standard. And that's exactly what Jesus wants us to do. Jesus says, I will love you so you can love your spouse. Oh, one of my favorite verses is 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. As husbands and wives, it's not we love our spouse because they're lovely. We love our spouse because Jesus first loved us. Oh, Jesus says, I will love you so you can love your spouse. Isn't that what we've been learning in Colossians 3? Remember when we were in Colossians 3, 12? Uh, so as those who have been chosen of God, he chose us holy and beloved. We're loved. We're loved. And because we're loved, we can love. Because we are loved, that's why he said in verse 14, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Man, when we find it hard to love our spouse, we run to Jesus. We see him spread eagle on a garbage dump dying for us, and we experience love that enables us to love our spouse, right? Loved people love. Oh. Jesus says, I will forgive you so you can forgive your spouse, because forgiven people forgive. Didn't we read that? Uh, when we were in verse 13, bearing with one another. Listen, two sinners... <laughs> A male and female in a tight space, there's a lot of bearing going on there, right? Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Doesn't that start in marriage? Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Jesus says, I have forgiven you, so you can forgive your spouse. If you're married, do you know Jesus taught us to do something every day that could change our marriage? You know what it is? Remember in the Lord's Prayer? In the Lord's Prayer, he said, uh, every day we should pray what? Forgive us and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. (laughs) What would happen in our marriage if every day we experienced forgiveness and then we gave forgiveness? As husband and wife, they're fighting. 
And the husband says, whenever we fight, you get historical. And his wife says, no, no, you mean hysterical. And he says, no, I mean historical. Listen, when you fight, you get historical. You know what it means to forgive? It means that I will not hold this against you. It means I will not dwell on this. It means I will not bring this up and use it against you. I won't dwell on it. I won't hold it against you. I won't bring it up and remind you. What would happen in our marriages if we experienced forgiveness and granted it daily? But smiley, that's hard. Of course it's hard. That's why we need Jesus. Oh, you probably never do this, but there are days where I like to recount all the ways that my wife has disappointed me. And then, you know what Jesus says? Hey, Smiley, two can play this game. Do you really want to play this game? No. Jesus, you have forgiven me. Help me to forgive my spouse. You see, Jesus says, I will love you so you can love your spouse. Jesus says, I will forgive you so you can forgive. You know what it takes to have a good marriage? Two really good forgivers. Know what else Jesus says? Listen, when I move into you, I'm never leaving. That's why we can make lasting commitments because we've experienced that. I mean, my new thing is, Smiley, how are you? I'm in love. What, what, what do you mean? Well, listen, I have a friend who loves me. And when he moved in, he said he would never leave. Oh, when we've experienced that, we can, we can be that, right? Well, let me show you in, where that is in Hebrews 13. And I can't believe these two verses are next door to each other. But look at Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage is to be held in honor among all. And the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. We live in a culture where it's Pride Month, where we take pride in celebrating what God forbids. And a lot of people say that's terrible. No, what an opportunity we have as a church in the middle of a culture that takes pride in celebrating what God forbids. We can lift up marriage and it's held in honor. What if we celebrated people who stayed marriage? What if we celebrated the marriage bed and said that's where sex belongs, to be enjoyed alone? What an opportunity for us to show our culture that Jesus enables us to enjoy a happily imperfect marriage. Um, and then here's the verse. Make sure your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. Uh, for he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Man, aren't you glad to have a friend who's never going to discover something in you and say, I'm Ida here, aren't you? Man, most people know just a little bit about me and they run. And Jesus knows everything about me and he's staying. And that's what enables me to stay committed to my wife as Jesus is committed to me. I mean, do you ever wonder why we take marriage vows, do you? I have such a good time. Why do we take marriage vows? And most people really struggle to answer the question. So I want you to know the reason we take marriage vows is, first of all, it's the greatest expression of love we could ever make. It's the greatest expression of love we could ever make to stand before God and others and say, this is the person. I mean, come on, you've seen Remember the Titans, right? You've seen that? Re remember there was a time people didn't own mobile phones? Remember that? So remember the scene, they're in the hall, all the football players are lined up, and the one guy is talking to his girlfriend on the phone. 
you remember the scene, right? And she's saying, tell me, tell me, tell me you love me, right? But he's what? He's too embarrassed, right? He can't say it. Are you married? There was a day you weren't embarrassed. There was a day you stood before God and others and said, this is the one. It is the greatest expression of love we could ever make. But secondly, it's a recognition that romantic love alone is not enough. We're about to bring kids into this world. We're about to, to take vows. And so we lock ourselves in for the good times and the difficult times because we recognize that romantic love alone is not enough. Um, listen, we have staked our eternity on the fact that Jesus will keep his word, right? And because we've experienced it, we can express it, right? So there it is. Jesus is full of grace and truth, and that's what we need. That's what we need to, to enjoy a happily and perfect marriage. We need lots of truth, and we need lots of grace, right? I mean, we need to know the standard, but we all need what Jesus living in us, right? And, and forgiving us for failing and lifting us day by day closer to the standard, right? And so this week, this week, I want you, here's the action step, the action step, and I, I, I want you to take three steps to a happily imperfect marriage. Three steps to a happily imperfect marriage. Now, some of you say, well, Smiley, I'm not married. These three steps will work in your life too. You can use these at work. Three steps to love the people at work. or You can use them with your small group. You can use these same three steps with your neighbors. They'll work anywhere, okay? But especially in marriage. This week, when we get up and have breakfast with Jesus, I want us to take the first step every day and just remember, I didn't marry Jesus. We discover that pretty early in marriage, right? But it's good to remember that every day. I, I, I didn't marry Jesus. I married a flawed person. I married a sinner. It's good to remember that. Secondly, much harder step, I'm not Jesus. I'm not Jesus. Um, I'm not easy to live with. I'm easily, I, I annoy people. I, I'm hard to love. Listen, if you get to step two, if you'll get to step two every day, you're well on the way to enjoying a happily imperfect marriage. And, and, and then step number three is I need Jesus to love the deeply flawed spouse I'm married to. I, I do, and you do too, right? Listen, we love because he first loved us. So every day, let's run to Jesus, and he says, I'll love you so you can love your spouse. Listen, he says, I'll forgive you so you can forgive your spouse. I'm never leaving you so you can stay there even when it's hard. So let's start each day with Jesus, okay? And let's take those three steps. I, I didn't marry Jesus. I'm not Jesus. I need Jesus. And, and you know what's going to happen every day this week? You know what's going to happen every day this week? Our spouse is going to disappoint us isn't it? Our spouse is going to hurt us. But this week's going to be different. You know why? Because we're prepared for it. We remember, that's right, that's right, that's right. I, I didn't marry Jesus. Why am I surprised that my spouse disappointed me? Listen, my spouse is not Jesus. Uh, but this week's going to be different too, because not only are we not surprised, but we know what to do. I can't tell you how many times every day in marriage I walk through these three steps. Listen, I didn't marry Jesus. I'm not Jesus. I cannot fathom 
how difficult it is for Karen to live with me. And uh, that leads me to number three. I, I, I need Jesus to love my deeply flawed spouse, right? Huh. Won't you do that this week? And, and listen, who do you know? Who do you know that really needs to hear what you've learned today? Won't you go and share with them? Won't you? Listen, this week, this week when someone's talking about how difficult it is in their marriage or maybe how difficult it is just to live with someone at work, why not say, could I share with you? Could I share with you what we learned in church on Sunday? <laughs> what we learned is that Jesus enables us to enjoy a happily imperfect marriage. And if they say, how? Say, well, Jesus fills us with truth and Jesus fills us with grace. And that's what it takes to have a happily imperfect marriage. It takes lots of grace and lots of truth. <laughs> oh, I want to encourage you. I really do. Listen, with Jesus, <laughs> with Jesus, even Karen and I can enjoy a happily and perfect marriage. And if we can, I'm convinced you can too. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm so thankful that you came to seek and save sinners. Thank you. Thank you for always honoring your father and mother. Thank you for treating women with respect. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins and rising and offering us eternal life. Listen, if you'd like to be forgiven, if you need help in, in loving your spouse or submitting to your husband, won't you invite Jesus in? Won't you say, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And I want you to come in and be my Savior. And forgive me and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life and help me be the person you want me to be. Oh, Jesus, uh, if you've done that for the first time, won't you mark that on your card? We'd love to celebrate with you. And Jesus, I pray for those of us who have invited you in that you would fill us with grace and truth. Fill us with grace and truth. Lord, help us to experience your love so we can love one another. Help us to experience your forgiveness so we can forgive one another. Lord, help us to experience your uh, unbending commitment to us so that we can be committed to one another. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.